0: show for missionary disciples who worship Christ and the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're here in the Lenten season where we're focusing on these pillars of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and the way that we can live those out in a really practical way as a means of reorienting ourselves uh, in this sacramental economy. So uh, prayer, we're reorienting ourselves towards God, fasting, we're reorienting our relationship with our own bodies. and then almsgiving is a way that we we reorient ourselves with the world around us. And that of course, that can be monetary, but it can also be uh, a resetting of the the way that we live toward others, of our generosity, living out that statement that Jesus said that they will know they everyone around will know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. With these three pillars, we're kind of taking a peek at different aspects of that throughout this season. Last week, we talked uh, about prayer, meditative prayer, contemplative prayer. Today, we're going to be talking about almsgiving in a sense, of uh, reorienting ourselves to our community and, and being missionaries and evangelists and, and the light in the dark places of our world. We're talking today with Santonio Hill, who is the Assistant Director of Recruitment for Vagabond Missions. You can find out more about him over at vagabondmissions.com. But I want to talk about the work that they do and specifically, Santonio, the way that you entered into that work. Thank you so much for being here on the show today.
1: Yes, a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Just reading your bio, the little bit that I saw, I saw that you were in pre-med on your way towards maybe a specific vision of life and then as as things happened the pandemic happened to all of us and we all had shifts and changes but it it affected you in a in a very profound way would you walk us through that journey from maybe what your expectations were to this catalytic event that changed the trajectory of your life and, and let you feel the call of God into this very specific ministry
1: yeah absolutely tio so i um just to give you a little bit of background before getting into that <clears throat> I uh I, I had a some time in seminary, actually. Uh and okay. I spent four years in seminary when I where I did my college, got my college education as well, ended up getting a philosophy degree. And uh from there, you know, I had my second conversion, my my deeper conversion to just being cut to the heart, giving God my fiat at any time of the day, you know. And so it was from there where I left. I was a teacher for the, for the faith. I wanted to, I knew I wanted to, um, yeah, after the sermon out, I knew I wanted to serve God in some way. Just wasn't sure how initially I wanted to be a missionary. And then I found out that you had a fundraiser salary and I did not want to do that. So I said, well, I'll be a teacher. And so I was a teacher at a all black Catholic school taught, teaching religion. Um, and I, I did that for a year and I really enjoyed it, but I just felt confined inside those walls and so it's so uh, fitting that your podcast is outside the walls. And so I, I really felt confined in, inside the walls of, uh, uh, of that school. And so I said I wanted to live out the faith more, and I wanted to uh, give of more myself in this in this manner, and just be able to yeah share God's word, you know. Um, and so at the time I was living with Focus Missionaries at the University mm-hmm. of Maryland. And seeing these guys live the, their their life, they live their faith out in, their, in a yeah, within the confines of their job, which is, you know, I had the small classroom as my workspace. They had the, in the entire campus as their workspace, right. and and then more, and then more, you know. And so I, I just thought that was so cool, and I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. And so I kind uh, <clears> of <throat> had some intimate time with Mary in prayer and just kind of like said, Mary, if, if you are calling me to live this way of life, uh, you know, I, I just, I just want to entrust my fundraising efforts to you completely. And, uh, and, and you know, and it worked out. God provided a hundred percent. Mary saw it all through. And, um, so after that i uh, I was I was working in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia for a while and that was great um but then you know I was kind of done I thought you know my time was up when it came to ministry and I kind of had on my heart that I wanted to take care of people that I wanted to be a nurse or maybe a nurse practitioner I was still trying to figure out where exactly I was I was you know thinking that I was being called to and you're right then the pandemic hit uh and a lot of things changed. A lot of things shifted. The climate of America had gotten really volatile. Um, yeah. On on many fronts, many many fronts, all different types of yeah cultures and peoples. And it all kind of escalated from, like the uh, yeah I would say the boiling point was George Floyd's murder, and so. Seeing that you know, being a black man in America, I have seen and heard about stories like this. Known some people like that, you know, people black people just getting, yeah, taken advantage of uh, by the police force, time and time and time again. And it just kind of like for me, it it hit, it hit a true breaking point for myself as well. I had so many emotions. I didn't necessarily know what to do with it. You know, I could have turned into anger and went out and rioted as well. I could have turned it into like sadness and just become very depressed and be you know think that there's no hope in the world. <clears throat> but instead, I, I, I turned though I turned that into a passion back into ministry, <laughs> which I did not think I was going to get back <laughs> into. You know, I was like, oh, this is oh, this is done. But I, yeah, I, I prayed a pretty long and hard about. Yeah, actually, not too hard. What well, I did pray hard, but not too long. I just did a <laughs> novena. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I did a novena to uh, St. Anthony Paddle. He's my confirmation saint. And I was working already with Vagabond Missions at the time, which is an organization that I work for now. And the president of the organization had offered me a position. He said, Hey, man, how about you come work for us? Mm-hmm. And I was like, No, I'm cool, I'm done. You know, I'm gonna to, go to med school route and everything. And then George Floyd got murdered, and then I had all these emotions and I didn't necessarily know what to do with it. And so I prayed at Novena. And at the end of that time, um, you know, day nine came and my love for potentially wanting to pursue the med- medical field was very, very high still. And I had thought I was burnt out at ministry, but at day nine, my my love for ministry, I was just like on fire for the faith. And it really came from, you know, besides all of that, it, it really came from looking at the perspective of what does it mean to thrive as a person, you know? I and and that's, I mean, you can look at it from a human point, intellectual standpoint, whatever. I was looking at it from a spiritual standpoint, you know, what does it mean to thrive? Because there are saints who were persecuted terribly. Um, one, for example, Saint Josephine Bakita, you know, she. Yeah, she was a slave. You know, she was a slave. But I remember her saying, she has this famous quote: "I thank my kidnappers because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have known God." And I just think that I, I just see such profoundness in that, you know. Uh, and and so I I got tired and got fed up of just seeing my people just like barely surviving, barely holding on. Uh, and I said, you know what? I want to enter back into the world of ministry on a on a very uh boots hit the ground level type of a yeah grassroots impact is is that something that i was looking for to something that i was desiring And i think something that god was also just showing me that like hey you desire this a lot actually like you want to help people this is how you can help people and mm-hmm. um and so yeah i decided to go on ahead and and, and join join vagabond
0: you talked about the 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 polarization and the the turmoil that we experience in our nation and and, as I was preparing to have this conversation with you um the the thought popped into my head that we we look our, at ourselves in the mirror and we see ourselves in the mirror and we both the physical mirror and then also just the socioeconomic mirror that the, the we go to our mass and we go to our parish and we have this maybe unspoken assumption that our experience is the Catholic experience. My experience of the world is the experience that everyone has. And to the extent that there's a disagreement or to the extent that there is um, a different opinion out there, that person falls outside of the normal uh, way that things are. And so then I can segment out society and explain away uh, differences of opinions, differences of um, of experience, by simply saying, "Oh, well, that's that's this other box over here. That's that's not normal experience, right? We we normalize our own experience and make other experiences uh, on the fringes. And I think in doing that, one, it's not Catholic because Catholic means universal, right? We we as the universal church have a beautiful variety of, of experiences, right? It's not, um, Catholic, uh, Catholicity is not uniformity and, and communion Amen. is not uniformity. There is, Amen. there's difference in our expressions. Um, and I, I see in our society, this desire to to understand society by organizing it. And we organize it by segmenting it. And in that segmentation, we dehumanize the experience of others, uh-huh. which is precisely the opposite of what we're called to do. That we'll, They'll know that we're his disciples by the love we have. Uh-huh. St. Saint, Saint Pope John Paul II gave us this beautiful theology of the body, this personalist theology that allows us to better understand in our context what it means to say that the human being is endowed with incomparable dignity by being made in the image of God. And that, that dignity can't be effaced by if they broke a law or if they live on uh, the other side of the world from me, that dignity is inherent just because of their humanity. And so I can't look and say, well, this person deserved that because of X, Y, and Z. We have to be able to say beyond all of that, there is this unimpeachable dignity that we are called to recognize and to honor and to safeguard. And, and so I, what I, what I would like maybe to have you explain, because I know that you're in a number of different locations, including in Oklahoma city where some of my listeners are. Um, I would love, I would love to have you explain to, you know, I've never lived in the inner city. I've always been suburb or, or rural. What does Catholicism look like? What does the ministry look like in that urban environment where y'all are going into that mission territory? Not, It's not mission because it's urban. It's mission because very often the people that you're going to do feel trapped or feel uh, lacking in hope. Right? What does it look like sure. to bring hope into that place? What is the experience of Catholicism or the experience of of um, bringing Christ look like in the urban environment.
1: Yeah. And, you know, T.O., it's so beautiful. Um, I so the kid, all the majority of the kids that we work with aren't Christian. Um, Some of them are. And when you do get a kid that's Christian, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air, you know, because then they can help aid and their friends and whatnot. But typically we're reaching all unchurched teens. And so when I, when I, yeah, I've been watching The Chosen a lot lately and it's so beautiful the way that like Jesus has gone about, you know, and he's just inviting people into a relationship with him. And a lot of what I've seen in The Chosen, it, you know, it brings me to tears because I feel like we in, in Vagabond have a unique experience of doing similar Similar yeah evangelization is like as as Christ did, obviously we're not saying, hey I'm inviting you into a relationship with me as San Antonio Hill because i can't I have nothing to offer you know <laughs> we but we befriend these teams in you you know whether it's a basketball court, it could be a bus stop, it can be a park wherever they may be, we go to these places where they are, we encounter them, try to Try to dialogue as much as we can, sometimes you know we get cussed out by the kids, you know sometimes they don't want any interaction with us at all, which is that's fair. I'm a complete stranger, you know, uh, I get that, but when we do get a kid that says, "You know what, I want to talk to you yes i'm I am actually lonely yes i actually I'm curious about what it is that you do. you say you're a missionary, that sounds weird, you know i, I and they have these questions, you know, and, and so we it, it' it always helps if you play basketball and you're good at the sport, you know, or like football or whatever <laughs> that always that's always a nice end um but it is it's really it's really being very human, you know it is' mm-hmm. connecting it's connecting with these teens in a way that they are desiring because a lot of times the kids that we work with, you know they're facing uh yeah, a, a, a terrible drug culture, you know they might see drug deals in their neighborhood, they might see drug users in their neighborhood, they might see a lot of homelessness in their neighborhood, they might see a lot of mental illnesses in their neighborhood within people that aren't being treated, that have no care, uh, they have nobody to care for them, so they're digging through trash cans, maybe they're not homeless, but that's the only way that they can find food to eat they might see a lot of prostitution, you know, and there's it, many gun violence, there's so many variables that these kids are exposed to And so when they see these things, they become numb to it after all, because that's what they're used to. But when we give them a sense of, when we, yeah, when we step in more or less uh, and and just give them a simple invitation to come and hang out with us missionaries at our underground, which is just a safe space, it's like a drop-in center, and they get a chance to experience a lack of all those negative things that I just named, and just be able to be a 15, 14, 16 year old kid for a while and play games and be playful and, and not have to worry about looking over your shoulder because somebody might be coming and try and rob you or punk you or whatever. And you can just relax for a little bit. You know, some of our kids don't have all their, yeah, both parents in the home. Some kids, Some kids have to take care of their siblings because of one parent that might be at the home or grandma that's, you know, taking care of them has to work a few jobs. And so they're actually the ones that's doing all the cooking and all the cleaning and helping with the homework of their little siblings and all these things. And so it's, it's being human, it's connecting, it's meeting them exactly where they are and spoon feeding them Jesus Christ because it is him that we want them to be able to connect with and fall in love with. Because that's where the conversion happens, not just through a friendship. We're not just a big brother, big sister program, you know. Uh, and so we have we have many elements of the gospel that we have in our in our programs, and it, it, you know, it's, it's a journey. These kids aren't coming around and saying, "Yes, I believe in God." Yeah, I want to do everything for Him. On our second or third encounter, it, it takes years, you know. We and within our fifteen years of of existence, Vagabond, that is, we've had over 150 kids come into the Catholic Church. And so it was quite mm-hmm. amazing, but it takes time. For example, last year we had a kid come into the church and he had been involved with the underground. So I keep saying the underground, Vagabond missions is an organization. The underground is the, the space that we have for the kids to come and hang out and where we have our programs. And so we had a kid come into the underground for about five years. He had already turned 19. It's you, you age out when you leave when you graduate from high school. He had already turned 19. And it was then when he said, you know what? I want to be Catholic. Is it still possible? And we said, absolutely. Come on. We we are <laughs> yeah. gonna work with you, RCIA, everything. We're not just gonna leave you behind because you've aged out. You know? It's 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 a journey and it is it, it is slow majority of the time. Um, but it is beautiful.
0: Well, and I love that. I, I rail against often, and I I grew up in in a very Protestant context where there were (laughs) programs of evangelization and kind of scripts that you would say, uh, to get people to that, you know, to that decision point. Uh And I, I rail against very, uh, very often what I call, uh, silver spoons or, or sitcom evangelization that we expect all the problems to be solved in the 30 minute episode. So Uh we can have a new episode next week, right? This, this accompaniment uh, walking with people in in relationship and in communion with people until the point where we can reach that full communion. That's what evangelization is. That's what it means, I think, to be in the world and not of it. Uh-huh. That we are uh, we are not affected by the currents of the world, but we are affecting the currents and everything that we touch and everyone that we touch. So uh, as you. Um, as you're, right now, you're in 13 missions across eight cities. Yes, and I know that that's something that y'all are continuing to expand. You're the director, uh, the assistant director of of recruitment. Let's do a little recruitment here. Um, what does it look like for for a person to come and do this work of evangelization in the inner city with Vagabond? What, what are the age requirements? What are the uh, the expectations? And then, what is the rule of life for that group?
1: Great question. Yeah, so the age requirement, I think, is just one year out of high school. Uh, We so nineteen years old. I'm sorry, what was the question? (laughs) I just read this text message from my wife.
0: That no, that's all right. So, what is the what are the requirements like the age requirements or the the what kind of person do you typically have working with you? What kind of person are you looking for to come and be a part of Vagabond?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so we have these core values here at Vagabond. Uh mission driven, deep prayer life, community builder. Um we have servant heart, fun, and self-starter. And so with each with each one of these values, a saint is attributed to to them. And so those are some of the values that we have and that we're looking for um within a person, you know, but I would say I would say more than, more than anything, we're looking for a person that's open to different perspectives, that's open to, like you said, journeying with people, that's open to not forcing somebody to become Catholic or if they aren't getting their way immediately, then they won't erupt on a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Someone that is patient, but also not naive at the same time. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're really looking for people with this, with a strong prayer life because you very quickly, you'll find out that there's nothing that you can, you personally can really do to get this kid to the next step within discipleship. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I, I love to share with Elle's book on forming intentional disciples and she has these stages and these stages are, I mean, it makes sense. It's just, it's great but it takes a long time to get a kid to become curious. Um, it may take like even a longer time to get a kid to become open. And so we also have training, you know, but to have those initial uh, bare bones of of certain set of values that we're looking for in people, but also a certain amount of openness, but also an orthodoxy as well mm-hmm. of of a Catholic that we're looking for. Um, the, I would say those are, the, are our re- requirements. And... Uh,
0: I would assume, uh, or, or as I'm synthesizing these things, I would think also there is a desire for a person to have that spirit of mother Teresa of wanting to be present to a, to the person, right. To that, that oftentimes I, I've seen people go into, to mission trips or into mission thinking that they're going to go and, and be as uh,
1: save the world,
0: a savior, right? I'm going to go and I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to go and I'm going to make things better. And and I think uh, as I look at the work that you're doing, that you are more interested and correct me if I'm wrong here in finding people who are looking for people to love and not problems to solve.
1: Absolutely. That's something that I actually, not necessarily the way that you said it, that was very beautiful. But the, when I go out and typically give talks and try and recruit missionaries, I say that at vagabond, we have two goals, and the main goal is for these teens to be seen heard, known, loved, and known that they have somebody that they can depend on somebody that they can talk to, and somebody that yeah is gonna be there for them in some way shape or form because they've been they've been rejected so many times time and time again in their life, and then i will all, and then I like to also say that the ultimate goal is to preach the gospel to these teens. But it's always an invitation, never an expectation with this. And yeah, that we just give them the spiritual tools so they can have a tool belt that's full of tools, spiritual tools that helps them and aids them in a relationship with God and hopefully one day allows them to be able to make it to happen. And so that that's, those are two of our very, very important also like pillars that I would say that we have, you know? to mm-hmm. care for the human person as a, we just in, in a human way, but also care for the human person and, you know, care for their soul, you know, like truly right. loving the person.
0: I know that in, in your rule of life that you, uh, your, your missionaries are going to at least daily mass around three times a week. They're doing adoration two times a week. They're deeply invested in the sacramental life, going to confession at least once a month. Um, that's what it looks like for the missionaries. What kind of opportunities are there made available to the students that you're working with to experience that kind of liturgical life?
1: Absolutely. So every Sunday, we have an opportunity for the teens to come to church with us, to come to Mass. And every Thursday, we have worship night. And so depending on each city is going to operate a little differently, but worship night is essentially a an opportunity to dive deeply into the gospels. It could be diving deeply into the sacraments. It can be diving deeply into a TV series like The Chosen, you know, whatever it may be. And that's also sometimes an opportunity to go to confession. That's also an opportunity to ask a priest anything. You know, that's also an opportunity to go to uh, a parish event that has adoration going on, some sort of liturgy that's going on. And so um, those are our our two opportunities that we have for the teens, because yeah, you know, they're also in school and then they typically have to go and be at home at a certain time. Uh, Not all teens, not all the time. But yeah, Sunday Mass is for sure and worship night, which is on Thursdays, it fluctuates, but we... It's beautiful. Um, I would say that the teens, more so, who says yes, you know, to wanting to journey a little bit more with God um, through us, those are the teens that have a lot more opportunities to be able to, yeah, be exposed to the sacraments and different liturgies that we have in the Catholic faith, because we, as, as alongside of our programs that we have, we also do relational ministry and so relational ministry is when you might have a girl's group or or a guy's group and within that group you also have time where you hang out with the kids one-on-one sometimes two-on-one and you have an opportunity to just yeah expose them to the sacraments so much more and liturgy so much more
0: we're talking today with Antonio Hill, Assistant Director of Recruitment for Vagabond Missions. You can learn more about the work they do at vagabondmissions.com. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation with me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. What's your experience? Have you been on mission? Have you been the recipient of mission? And what does that look like for you? Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to this conversation. Right after this break, you're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Santonio Hill, the Assistant Director of Recruitment for Vagabond Missions. You can learn more about them over at vagabondmissions.com. They've got 13 missions across eight cities uh, where they go and assist and help and accompany inner-city teens uh, as they... Often are dealing with neglect and violence and broken family life and vagabond missions introduces them to Jesus and a loving community through outreach. Uh, every inner city teen, as you said earlier San Antonio can be known, loved, and experience hope for their lives. and that's hope is an essential thing. Hope is uh-huh. essential for our well-being I mean there's there's studies out there of of two people facing the exact same circumstances medically and the person who has hope survives and the person who doesn't, doesn't. But Hope is that spark that gives us the will to continue. Uh, And so often we see in our society, specifically in the inner city, but not limited to the inner city, this increasing lack of hope. As the polarization goes up, as the the segmentation goes up, as we feel less connected to those who are around us, very often we see people who experience this loss of hope. And hope is what God gives us. Hope does not disappoint, right? God is coming. Christ has come to us, uh, not only to die for our sins, but to reconcile us to the Father, to be in relationship with us, to give us that purpose and that hope for living. Uh, and I love, uh, San Antonio, the work that you're doing specifically because it is incarnational. You uh-huh. are in a very real way as the body of Christ, continuing that incarnation of Christ, going to the places where Christ himself would have frequented, right? Going to the, the, the bus stop, going to, uh, the places that maybe, uh, gentried society wouldn't want to look right uh, oftentimes suburban uh suburbanites we see that the inner city on the news and that's about as close as we allow ourselves to get to it we see maybe someone experiencing homelessness with a sign on the side of the road and we look the other way we wow. you know try to get through that stoplight as quickly as possible and we don't allow ourselves to really come face to face with the humanity of uh, of people who are living on the edges of hope. So I'm, I'm curious, because uh, looking through the missionaries that you have, it seems like um, a lot of the missionaries did not themselves come from the inner city. So what's that transition experience like for someone who's never experienced anything other than maybe going downtown for an errand uh, to now living there in the midst of it and doing that work?
1: Yeah. You know, I actually haven't asked any of our missionaries who don't come from a similar background that question. So that is, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I, now I'm, I'm curious about their, their own, <laughs> you know, experiences as well. But I, 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 um yeah, just from hearing certain conversations over time, over my time here in Vagabond, I, I, I know that you know, it, it it takes, yeah, it takes a a, hu, a humble human being to be able to recognize, um, you know, certain
0: unconscious certain, biases.
1: Yeah, i want to say, so yeah, certain certain privileges as well, you know, uh, that they may have, mm-hmm. and so to be to be exposed, to be exposed to a to, sit, to sit, these situations that these kids have that they they live in, you know, it. it it, it grounds you in a way that even, you know, even myself, I'm also not from the inner city. I'm actually from a rural area, um, mm-hmm. but by being black, I have, you know, I share similar experiences as these kids as well in the inner city, in these cities. I, um yeah, it, 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 it gives you a different perspective. Um, and once again, yeah, it just, it just grounds you and, and shows you that like, hey, you know, you might've been complaining about, I don't know, you know, being lactose intolerant and they accidentally put milk in your coffee or something like that, you know what I mean? Or whatever, like certain, certain situations are just kind of like, you know, maybe you didn't, I don't know, you left the house without a hat on and it's cold outside and like, oh man, I didn't have, you know, some kids don't have heat inside their homes. You know, they, they mm-hmm. have, they put on every single layer of clothes that they have just to maintain warmth in their house, uh, in their, in their bodies. Um, and so it just it it, make, it makes you very I think yeah one thing grateful for your situation that you have sure but I think on top of on top of all of that like you were saying earlier you know it, it it allows you to see outside of yourself and allows you to see what other what else is going on in the world and the way people are living their lives you know like you may think you are the norm or like whatever your situation is, is a norm here in America, this is, this person's norm. You know, they don't know what it's like to have anything else besides what their, their situation that they're dealing with. Um, And so, yeah, some, some missionaries, I get, for one out here, have felt guilty in the past as well for living their life. But then, you know, yeah, God, God allows people to be born into certain situations. You know, he, he still loves these people. And you you were bringing up the word hope, you know hope is so it's so vital, you know um there's there's this one story where our founder he he said he yeah, there was a confirmation party or something like that going on, and i'm I think I'm getting the story mixed up, but there was some some sort of a reason for my founder to go over to one of these teens' houses where the whole family was present and when he goes he had like a gift for him and the gift was like a lamp and when he goes they had recently gotten evicted or they had like this this news that they were about to get evicted um and they just had nothing inside the house and the family was just kind of like in distraught and he was just standing there he was like i got this lamp you know he just didn't really know what to do and he was just kind of like being there with them and he just sat down next to everybody on the floor and just being in that uncomfortable reality that they just heard some very very bad news they have no clue where they're gonna be and it's just quiet and it's awkward but he just sat in the awkwardness with them he sat in the sadness with them you know he didn't leave and say well here's your lamp sorry you know or he didn't try to make them feel better you know he was he met them exactly where they were and he just Share life with them, you know. He just was there with them.
0: We often, I I recall a similar experience when I was working in ministry, um, doing a hospital call for one of my my choir members, and their their spouse had just passed away. And I, I had a great teacher, thankfully, who who told me there are no words. You you just sit and you don't, you don't try to fix anything. You don't try to say anything. You don't try to console, just be present. Uh, and, and I think that by allowing, you know, uh, we want to fix it because their, their uncomfortability makes us uncomfortable. We, mm-hmm. we don't know what to do with that. We don't know what to make of that. And, and by just allowing ourselves to sit in our own discomfort, being with them in their discomfort, uh, I think elevates the humanity of that moment and says, you are a human. Uh, you're not a problem. Again, you're a person to be loved, not a problem to be fixed.
1: Yeah. 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 Amen. And I think you're right. I think there's so often, you know, like during Lent, I'm, I'm trying my best not to really be on my phone as much as often. And when when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you want to do is grab your phone and like check the weather. Check your messages, maybe check social media, check the news, check whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're you're checking it for to like have the, like the self-control to just maybe look at it for the time and then like, okay, cool. Now let me get dressed or let me get, start my day, whatever that looks like, you know, it takes, and and then sometimes just like sit in silence and just like reflect, have some mental prayer, tough mental prayer. My gosh, (laughs) you know it. It's, it's deprogramming me right now to be able to just sit and give God his due first before I give Caesar his first thing in the morning. And so, yeah, it's just a, you know, I, I think, I think you're right to just sit and with somebody like that and just be human. It takes a, it, 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 on, yeah, it's crazy now, cause it takes a lot of fortitude, you know, it takes a lot mm-hmm. more courage to just sit and not go to your devices but instead be present and try and connect with the person that's sitting right in front of you. Um, I know that's kind of a different topic, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, I just, I just, I just love that concept that you were talking about of hope going back to that, you know, um, how sometimes we can't offer kids, uh, you know, any money or right. we can't offer them, uh, a job or whatever you know like we can definitely help them you know we can get them signed up for ebt if they don't have it we can you know if they don't have a a mattress we can potentially have people that can donate things you know we might potentially have someone that can see them for any um like for for therapy or something like that you know but we can't we personally can't as an organization can't offer them any of those things we might know third parties and you know we can maybe be a third party that help out in those situations but vagabond missions can't give those things, but what we do offer, obviously is Jesus Christ. And when you know when, when, when things are really down bad, you know, you and this is for anybody, you know, when you want to hold on to things, you know to learn how to surrender is a very important trait. It's a very important skill. and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a life skill in the spiritual world. To be able to just surrender to Jesus, whatever it is that you have going that you're going through. Now, there are also, you know, I'm not going to see him be naive and say, "Oh, well, we don't have any rent. We'll just surrender it." You know, God's going to provide. Right. You know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not of that um, thought process. You know, there's that does suck, and there's some stuff that maybe we can help you with on a physical level to to you know maybe get a job or get some money or some financial aid some somehow. But I forget this saint uh, who said this quote, but the quote was, I work as if I don't pray and I pray as if I don't work. And mm-hmm. um, that's that that's something that I think just helps and aids with these kids when it comes to hope, because as soon as they find out who God is and they sh- start to try and give their life over to God, that aids so much. Like you're saying, with the patient that has no hope versus the patient that that does, you know, then they have mm-hmm. something that they want to fight for a little bit more. And they're like, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to, to to get back in the ring. And I'm ready to go these rounds with the with this thing we call life. And 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 I got hope now. And so yeah, yeah. I just it, it's just beautiful to witness these things in these kids' lives.
0: I want to bring this back around to that that spiritual Lenten pillar of almsgiving. Um Obviously, one of the ways that you can, can give that kind of alms is to give of yourself. And so if you are thinking, you know, I, this is scary and it seems out of my comfort zone, but, but I also see the value in it, that could be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And, and if that's, if that's you, well, go to vagabondmissions.com and get a hold of Santonio San Hill, who's the assistant director of recruitment. He's your guy and he's the one to talk to. But I, I obviously, all of, the missionaries you mentioned it earlier, you're raising your own support, mm-hmm. and so what would it look like? Now, most of the time, you've got your your missionaries who have their um, kind of their network that they reach out to individually, but let's say someone's listening and feels compelled to to support the Oklahoma City mission or the one of the Philadelphia missions, and they don't know a specific missionary. How would they get involved? in this act of almsgiving uh, to support the work that you're doing to bring the gospel to the inner city?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So there are a few ways. Um, One of the ways is, yeah, if you don't know a missionary, but you want to support a city, you can go on VagaballMissions.com and actually support a city. Um, It it should be under the giving section or a donating section. Uh, But that is possible to be able to support the city there. Um, that's one way if you're in a city that we're currently in as well, even better, you know, you, you might be able to donate a meal if, if you're close by, uh, you may be able to donate your time if you're close by to volunteer to not just donate the meal and say, okay, cool. I'm i I'm gonna leave now. You can donate it and actually serve the kids. You know, that's a, that's a powerful, um, moment, you know, as well, you know, how often do we go to restaurants and get served, you know, there's. It's not so often unless you have kids and you serve your kids a meal, you know, but, you know, it's, it's it's powerful to be able to go, you know, into like a soup kitchen, homeless places and such to also serve the poor in these ways as well. So you can come serve our kids, you know, um, another way that you can be a core team member if you have the time for that and you can be very involved in a lot of these teams and give talks. You can lead breakout games. You can, you know, leave youth youth ministry games that we, that we have. You can, you can just be a mentor for these teens as well, Mm -hmm. um, while being, as being a core team member. And then you could also just pray, you know, that's another way of of all, oh, but this is alms giving. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So you can. So you can. So you can also, um, yeah, just just give your time and talents in any way.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, that 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 pillar of alms giving is to reorient us and redirect us towards our relationship and our responsibility towards our human family. And so, yes, that can be that monetary giving, but it can be so much more. And maybe this Lent. Give some of that almsgiving over to Vagabond Missions at vagabondmissions.com. We've been talking with San Antonio Hill, the Assistant Director of Recruitment for Vagabond Missions. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: If you missed any part of my conversation with Santonio Hill or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our archives are over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, you can look through over eight years of interviews and conversations just like this one. But if you're looking for more from this conversation, I've got good news because there is more. Each and every week, we record an extra segment that we make available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we'd like to give them a couple extra questions with the guest, a deeper dive into the topic. Click that Patreon link in the top uh, of the menu bar there at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can look through some of the older segments that are now available to the general public and consider becoming a part of that community. Now, Let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and Doctors of the church, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark chapter 12, where we hear this. One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, Which is the first of all the commandments? Jesus replied, The first is this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You are right in saying he is one, and there is no other than he. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is worth more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered with understanding, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God and no one dared ask him any more questions. That reading comes from the Gospel of Mark uh, chapter 12, and there's a couple of things that I uh, want to point out today. So often we read Scripture to be consoled, and to be encouraged, and to be uh, strengthened, and to feel support. And and there, Scripture does that. This is one of the things that that Scripture can provide to us. As we hear the voice of God, we are strengthened and encouraged and consoled. But I think that if we don't spend equal time looking to be challenged by the words of Christ, then we're not getting everything out of Scripture that Scripture is meant to be. We need to look at Scripture in a way that we allow ourselves to be the person being chastised and the person being challenged. And I, I look at this story here, and I think of, of all of the times that I've gone to ask God a question, fully expecting and prepared for the answer that he's going to give me, right? That's what we have here with the scribe. He's, he's not asking a, a question because he wants to know what, what Jesus wants of him. He's testing Jesus to see if Jesus really measures up to his understanding and his interpretation of Scripture. And I feel like we do that a lot. And so he passes this person's test. He passes the scribe's test, uh, and and so the, the scribe praises him as if that praise from the scribe is going to be anything to Jesus. And Jesus uh, turns it back around and and says, "Wow, you your understanding is just almost there. You're you're almost there. You are not far from the kingdom of God." And so I encourage you as we go through this Lenten season to read Scripture not for consolation, but for challenge. God, tell me what it is that this really means today. What is this greatest commandment, and how do I live this out? How do I love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, and and in what way am I being called today to love my neighbor as myself? Our reading from Church History comes from a homily by St. Asterius of Amasea. You were made in the image of God. If then you wish to resemble Him, follow His example. Since the very name you bear as Christians is a profession of love for men, imitate the love of Christ. Reflect for a moment on the wealth of His kindness. Before He came as a man to be among men, He sent John the Baptist to preach repentance and lead men to practice it. John himself was preceded by prophets who were to teach the people to repent, to return to God, and to amend their lives. Then Christ came himself, and with his own lips cried out, Come to me, all you who labor and are overburdened, and I will give you rest. How did he receive those who listened to his call? He readily forgave them of their sins. He freed them instantly from all that troubled them. The Word made them holy. The Spirit set His seal on them. The old Adam was buried in the waters of baptism. The new man was reborn with the vigor of grace. What was the result? Those who had been God's enemies became His friends. Those estranged from Him became His sons. Those who did not know Him came to worship and love Him. Let us then. Be shepherds like the Lord. We must meditate on the gospel, and as we see in this mirror the example of zeal and loving kindness, we should become thoroughly schooled in these virtues. For there, obscurely, in the form of a parable, we see a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. When one of them was separated from the flock and lost its way, that shepherd did not remain with the sheep who kept together at pasture? No. He went off to look for the stray. He crossed many valleys and thickets. He climbed great and towering mountains. He spent much time and labor in the wandering through solitary places until at last he found his sheep. When he found it, he did not chastise it. He did not use rough blows to drive it back, but gently placed it on his own shoulders, and carried it back to the flock. He took greater joy in this one sheep, lost and found, than in all the others. Let us look more closely at the hidden meaning of this parable. The sheep is more than a sheep. The shepherd, more than a shepherd. They are examples enshrining holy truths. They teach us that we should not look on men as lost or beyond hope. We should not abandon them when they are in danger or be slow to come to their help. When they turn away from the right path and wander, we must lead them back and rejoice at their return, welcoming them back into the company of those who lead good and holy lives. That reading comes from a homily by St. Asterius of Amasea, and it is for us always a challenge. We are, as the body of Christ, called to carry on the mission of Christ, to go and to seek and to save the lost, to not be content with our own interpretive frameworks, our comfortable pews. Air conditioning, whatever whatever comfort you have that that we take for granted, we're called to go beyond that, to see the dignity of the human person. In that person who we are most frightened of, in that person who we are most um, skeptical or or suspicious of, and to see in them a sheep whom the Lord loves, a person whom he made in his own image, and to see them and not to berate them. I think this is the hard thing. Um, and there's a, a couple of quotes that I, I I can't recall who precisely said them, but God calls us to holiness. There's there's no question about that. We're called to a certain level of of laying aside the old man and picking up the new man, but I think sometimes we forget that we are to be harsh with ourselves in terms of recognizing that we need to grow in holiness and gentle with others, to see them lost and, and afraid and alone and distanced from the flock and the shepherd. And rather than take that moment to remind them that they've fallen short and they need to grow in holiness— to extend the tenderness of the good shepherd who without berating, without blows, gently lifted the sheep onto his shoulders and carried him back to safety. And this, as we walk through this Lent, this is a challenge for us to be that bit of comfort and consolation for those who are far, for those who are, skeptical of the shepherd and those who are far away and maybe don't even want to be back. For us to go and be kind, for us to radiate the love of the good shepherd, of God the Father, as we woo them back, draw them back, gain their trust, and show them the loving kindness of our God. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you uh, by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. Be a part of the ongoing conversation over at Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit
1: spokestreet.com.